By the way, Pastor Tim, for his youth finding the rock, had 21 young people on Sunday morning for his very first one. So that's a real praise God. Amen. While Steve was in the spirit for me, I got a fan on me. Uh, we're going to buy some fans for next week. So all of you who are fanning yourselves, I don't. why is it, uh, Steve? It's 105 out, so we're at 95 in here. <laughs> uh, we're going to have some fans next week, so I'm, I apologize for it being so warm. And uh, we're going to get our own building. Matter of fact, I just want us to pray over this basket symbolically. Let's pray for our own building in God's good time. It's his good time. But we're taking up building fund in this basket, and we're believing that when his time comes in, I tell, I tell you, I've got a word from God. The only word from God I have is, Jeff, grow. And we're growing. And we're going to grow right into a building. That's the way it's going to happen. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for supernatural growth. It says in your word, one sows, another waters, but only God can give the increase. We believe you for divine increase. We believe you to give us souls. We believe you to... to supernaturally draw harvest out of the north, south, east, and the west and compel it to come in. We thank you, Lord God, that we will grow into a building. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Sunday morning, we had a, a record attendance. We thank God for that. Invite people, bring people, because when they come, they get blessed and they get saved and they get delivered. And we're starting to get reports regularly of people who have been touched and ministered to and saved and have come back to the Lord and families that have been touched and um, reconciliation of relationships just happening. If you just come together and you allow the anointing of God to move across a congregation, things happen. When the Spirit of God moves, and we're about to see this in the creation, when the Spirit of God broods, over a people, over a group, over a congregation, things happen. Amen? All right. Genesis chapter 1. Let's turn to it. And we're continuing in our series through Genesis. And I ate my, my words big time when I said I would do this in eight weeks. We're not even going to come close to doing it in eight weeks. But that's okay. Uh, you know what? We're fortunate to be taught the Word of God. There are some churches you can go into, unfortunately and tragically, you're not going to hear the Word of God. And so we're learning the Word of God, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So let's uh, stand together, and we're going to read a few verses out of Genesis 1. Let's begin at verse 1. And I'm going to go through tonight, verse 13. And we're going to go through day 1 through 3, in the six days of creation. Next week, day four through six. But days one through three in the six days of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. 
So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament, what everybody? Heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. God, thank you for your word tonight. Bless it to our hearts, and help us to stand in awe of the awesome creation of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Perk up and listen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, last week we looked at verse 1. That's as far as we got. And we laid the foundation for the book of Genesis. If you'll remember, we divided the book of Genesis into three parts. Now, those of you that want an A-plus tonight, say it with me. From Adam to Noah's Ark was called what period? Antediluvian. Was that you, Kathy? Oh, you said pre. Well, just because you said diluvian, I give you an A. And the antediluvian just means before the flood. Now, this is the, the way the, one of the ways the book of Genesis is divided up, and it's the way that I want to divide it up to teach it. So, from Adam to the ark is the antediluvian period or pre-flood, before the flood. Then, from Noah to Abraham is called what? From Noah to Abraham, post-diluvian. That means after the flood. And then from Abraham to the end of the book of Genesis is what period? Dada, Papa, what is it? Patriarchal. Patriarchal means father. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, we have before the flood, after the flood, and then the patriarchal time period. All three of those, the book of Genesis covers about 2,500 years. 2,500 years, that's a long time. Now we talked about God being the creator of the heavens and the earth. Isn't it wonderful that the Bible opens up informing us that there was not a big bang, informing us that there was not an evolutionary mishap, letting us know that no amoeba came crawling out of some ancient sea that finally developed legs and then grew and ultimately became an ape and then ultimately became a human being. That is not what happened. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Can I have an amen? Amen. God created. And so, if you're going to receive God's book at all, you've got to get past the first verse. 
And our nation, unfortunately, is choking on the first verse. And I shared with you last week that Yale, I believe it's either Yale or Harvard, one of the two, Harvard, I think it's Harvard, has just received a million dollar a year grant to prove that God did not create the heavens and the earth to verify the evolutionary theory. But something is knocking on the door of our school system, and it is people demanding that creationism be taught alongside evolution, and we're beginning to gain some ground, and so we should. Because in the beginning, God created. And we shared last week, ex nihilo, something out of nothing. Ex nihilo, Latin for something out of nothing. Only God can create something out of nothing. The chairs you're sitting in, the clothes you're wearing, everything we use, anything we make, the cars we drive, are something created from something. But only God can say, let there be an ex nihilo, something comes out of nothing. Out of nothing, something comes. And that's exactly what Genesis teaches us. Moses taught the book, wrote the book of Genesis along with the other four books shared with you last week. That's called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five are the Pentateuch. The Jews call it what? The Torah. Give yourselves a hand. You're not giving yourselves a hand because most of you didn't get it. <laughs> no. It's called the Torah. And they consider those five books one book, the book of the law. But now... The first book, Genesis, God created in the beginning the heavens of the earth. Now in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now verse 2 introduces us to the first matter. The first matter. Now folks, watch carefully now. Genesis is a deep book, and we need to use our minds and not just our spirits here. We have the first matter. Introduced in verse 2, the first substance. With the creation of the first matter, time began. Because until there was something to wear down, to age, to decay, there was no time. So with the introduction of matter came the introduction of time. There is no time in heaven. Aren't you glad the day will come when we've been raptured into glory We won't need a watch, won't need a clock, won't need a calendar, because time will be no more. Why? Because when that time comes, or that age comes, we won't be aging. We won't be decaying. We will be eternal. So there will be no more time. But with the first matter came time. And not only the first matter, folks, but the first mover or primary cause of all things. We find the first mover. And the first mover, we're going to see in a moment, is the Holy Ghost of God. Watch this now. The Bible says the earth was without form. Now that phrase, without form, means a desolate wilderness. The earth, when it was created, was a desolate wilderness. And darkness, or the dark, covered the face of the deep. The earth was utterly void of any light at all. Now tonight, it's going to get dark, but when you walk outside, you see. You can see because there's lights everywhere. Imagine a world 
where there had not been the introduction of light. There had been no light. It was absolute, void, blackness. And the world was without form. Desolate wilderness. A chaos, one interpreter says. It was a chaos. In the beginning, the earth was a chaos. Keep in mind that the waters mentioned in verse 2, covering the face of the deep, those waters, the, the entire earth was covered in water, just like in Noah's day. The earth, the dry land, had not even yet appeared. So you had the earth, which was a chaos, and waters covering the whole face of the earth. Verse 2 opens with an immense mass of matter, covered in yet undivided waters. Nothing in it was desirable to the eye, not one thing. There was nothing attractive about it, nothing beautiful about it. It was without form and void. It was shapeless, useless, without inhabitants, without ornaments, the shadow or rough draft of things to come. If there had been anything worth seeing, there was no light to see it with. And the Bible tells us, thick darkness was upon the face of the deep. Thick darkness. Now as I read this, being evangelistic to the core, as I read this, the condition of the world back in those days, I can't help but see a graphic picture of the unregenerate soul. There is disorder, confusion, and every evil work. Do you remember what you were like before you were saved? There was disorder, there was confusion, we were in gross darkness and involved in every evil work. Like the earth before there was light, this is the soul before the gospel's light shines on it. Let me tell you something, folks. The earth being with no light... In utter gross darkness, there is yet still a grosser darkness than that. And that is the blindness that is spiritual in nature. Until the light of the gospel shines on you and me, we are in this condition spiritually. No form, no void, or no, no shape, no comeliness, desolate, and no light whatsoever. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God was the first mover over this mass of nothing, this chaos. It says the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. That same Spirit that we experienced just now, worshiping God, please get a hold of this, the Spirit of God is not a, an it or, or a, a, some ethereal force. The Spirit of God is a he, a person. And the Spirit of God that we experienced just now, worshiping God, that same Spirit was back there in prime evil times, in primitive times, moving, brooding, the Hebrew says, fluttering across the face of the deep. Now where the Spirit of God is, there is life. Now I want you to think about this. The Spirit of God moved across desolation, the Spirit of God moved across chaos. He moved across confusion. And He made something beautiful out of it. And it's the same thing with a lost life without God. Dead matter would be forever dead if the Spirit of God had not brooded across the face of the deep and quickened it. It was just dead matter 
until the Spirit of God moved across it. Oh, folks, that's why when the Spirit of God moves on a service, things begin to happen. Because He broods. He flutters through a, a crowd. I can be standing up here, and I can suddenly be aware of the Spirit of God moving on people. And they come down to the altar, and they weep in the presence of God. And their lives are turned around. And you say, how in the world did that happen? And Jesus said, the moving of the Spirit is just like the wind blowing. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So it is with everybody who is born of the Spirit. You can have somebody sitting out there with an ice-cold heart, not even knowing why they were in church that day. And suddenly they find themselves in the altar, broken before God, weeping in His presence, wondering what has happened to them. It's because the Spirit of God moved across the face of the deep. Because we see the Spirit moving across the face of the deep and dead matter suddenly being changed and transformed into something beautiful, it shouldn't make us wonder that God raises the dead. Now the first thing that God did was He created light. He said in verse 3, Let there be light, and there was light. Can we say it together? Let there be light. Isn't that what He does with somebody who's far away from God? He speaks and he says, let there be light. And the light of the gospel shines on their heart. The first of all visible things that God made was light. He made light not because he needed light, for John tells us God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He created light as the very first thing he made as if to say, I want you to be able to see what I'm about to do. I want you to be able to see what I'm about to do. I'm about to do something incredible, and I want you to be able to see it. So I'm not only going to create the light, but I'm going to create the eyes that see the light. One commentator writes, Light is the great beauty and blessing of the universe. It is that which most resembles its maker in purity, power, brightness, and goodness. The world which is now a palace would have been a dungeon without light. He said, let there be light. Are you ready? He hadn't made the stars yet. Hadn't made the sun yet. He hadn't made the moon yet. He hadn't made the celestial spheres yet. So where did light come from? It came straight from God. There was no sun. There were no stars. And yet he said, let there be light. And suddenly there was light. Where did it come from? It came from God, who is light. And suddenly across that vast expanse of unformed mass, light shine straight from glory. We won't need a sun in heaven. We won't need a moon in heaven. We won't need a flashlight in heaven. Because the Bible says God is the light. And just as the Spirit was the first to move in earth's creation, the Holy Spirit is the first to move on he who becomes a new creation in Christ. Aren't you glad that he shined his light inside of you? Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The first thing God does when he's going to make a new creation... In the original creation, the first thing he did was send light 
when He's going to make you a new creation and change your life, the first thing He does is send light into your spirit via the person of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Light shines inside of us. And when that happens, you can know that God's about to do some creating. The first thing He did, He sent light. Let there be light. And then God divided the light from the darkness that they would never be joined together. Now I got to thinking about that. It's just like God, because hasn't he told us what fellowship has light with darkness? He made light, and then he divided it from night to teach us that light has no fellowship with darkness. How many of you know that's true? Let me tell you about you. Where you're going to be five years from now depends on two things, who you run with and what you read. Who you run with and what you read. Whoever you're hanging around with, are they people of light? Or are they people of shadows? Are they people of light? Or are they people of compromise? Are they people walking in the light? Hang around with people who are in the light, folks, because where you are five years from now in your spiritual walk will depend on who you're running with and what you read. Are you reading People magazine? Or are you reading about the people in the Bible? Preach it, Pastor Jeff. That's good stuff. Amen. I'm going to get the tape. I've just been devouring stories of people in the Bible. The patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job. I've just been devouring the stories of the people in the Bible because it builds your faith. And that's what God wants us to do. I don't care about Brad Pitt. I don't care about Angelina Jolie. I don't care whether they're together or not. I do care about whether or not God is speaking to me through the Word. God called the light day and the darkness night. Please understand that in heaven there is no darkness at all. God is a God of light. There will never be a shadow, never, never a dark cloud in the place called heaven. But also understand, in hell there is no light at all. It's void of light because hell is void of God. And in this world, light and dark are counterchanged. We pass daily from one to the next. The day comes to sort of usher in our day of business and work and productivity. The night comes in so that we can rest. But in that place of glory, there will be no darkness. The light of the face of Christ lights heaven 24-7. Amen. But I think if anything was going to keep me out of hell, let me tell you something. People wonder about hell. Is it really a place of flame? Really a place of fire? Is it really a place of all these things we hear? Well, I do know this. It's a place absent of God. And if it's absent of God, it's absent of light. And I cannot wrap my mind around the concept of hell, but God has told us that it's there. Since he has said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I'm going to tell people that it's there, lest they go there. And the evening and the morning, after he made day and night, were the first day... So God created light. Can you say with me? God sent light on the first day. Then it says, the next thing God did, let there be a firmament. Verse 6, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, firmament is an expanse or the sky, the vault of heaven. The firmament is the visible arch of the sky. And it includes all that is visible above the earth. It reaches as high as the place where the stars are fixed. 
and as low as the place where the birds fly. The firmament begins here and goes all the way up to the stars. Paul would have called it the second heaven. Paul talked about going to a place called the third heaven where God dwelled. But this firmament is from here all the way up to the stars. It is the expanse. David said in Psalms 8.3 that the firmament is the work of God's fingers. God made the firmament. Now here is what its purpose was. Its purpose was to divide the waters from the waters. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? Here's what it means. To divide the clouds from the sea or the waters in the air from those in the earth. God said, let there be a firmament. So he separated water in the clouds, the waters in the sky, from the waters in the sea. And that was the purpose of the firmament. So that's where the birds fly, that's where the jets fly, that's where we have our being as human beings, where oxygen is and all of that. That is the firmament. So God is now setting boundaries in his creation. He's saying, he's saying, here's where you can go and you can go no further. So he keeps the waters in the sea there. He separates them from the water in the clouds. And he says, this is good. God called the firmament heaven. It is the visible heaven. Above the firmament, God is said to have his throne. So somewhere beyond the stars and beyond the solar systems is the third heaven where God has his throne. And right now, God has created a new Jerusalem, a holy city, that when the day comes and Christ comes to set up a new kingdom, that new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven, God's heaven, God's throne room, and it's going to be set down on this earth. But right now, the firmament that God created in the creation separates the sea from the clouds and all the expanse in between. And God looked at that and God said, it's good. You know, I've learned this about God. God is a God of borders and God is a God of parameters and God is a God who limits everything he created. So we're about to see that he limited how far the sea could go. He limited, he limited all of life. He limited you and me. And the Bible says that we're to honor the ancient landmarks that God has put into place. And so here God is setting order in place. And so thank God for the firmament because that is where we live and move and have our being and breathe oxygen in the firmament. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2, he talked about a vision that he had. And he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Caught up to the third heaven. So he went beyond the firmament talked about in Genesis. And he says, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He's saying, I don't know if I went up there in my physical body or if God took me in my spirit. I don't know. But I was caught up into paradise, paradiso in the Greek language, paradise. And I heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now let me just show you what he's saying here. He's he's talking about the third heaven being beyond the firmament that God made to separate water from water. And that's where God dwells. But now Daniel had a vision that when he was fasting and praying, he was believing God for an answer to prayer, and he said, 
The answer was being sent down by an archangel, by Gabriel, and he was stopped in the second heaven in a warfare with Satan, the prince of Persia. Apparently, the firmament is where spiritual warfare takes place. A great deal of the spiritual warfare happens in the firmament. When God said to Satan in the book of Job, where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, walking to and fro within the earth. When you say that, you're talking about within the parameters of the firmament. I think sometimes there are prayers being withheld from us. There is a struggle. There is a battle going on. And it's being waged in the second heaven or in the firmament that is being spoken of right here in the book of Genesis. And when the answer comes, it breaks through the spiritual strongholds and gets to us. That's why we need to be in prayer all the time. Amen? So he made the firmament, dividing the waters from the waters, and that was the second day. Now God comes to day three, and he says in verse nine, let dry land appear. God said, let the waters under the heavens, that's a wrong verse I had. There, verse nine, let's just read it. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So here's day three. God said, let the waters that are under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Now, I told you that the earth was totally covered in water. Before God began to move in the creation, the earth was without form and void. It was a chaos and it was totally covered in water. But now God says, now I'm going to speak to the waters and I'm going to give them a place to go boundaries that they will not be able to cross. And so he says, let the dry land appear. Now up to this point, notice with me, God has focused on the upper part of the visible world. The light of heaven was kindled by his word. And the firmament dividing clouds from the sea was fixed. But now he goes further. And he descends to the lower world and makes earth Here's what he's doing. He's starting to make it habitable for you and me. Say with me, he prepares a table. Amen. When you don't even know God's working on your behalf, he's working. Before Adam was even made out of the dust of the ground, God is now in day three getting the earth ready for his arrival. As mentioned earlier, water has covered the entire earth, described in verse two. Now God brings order by gathering the waters together and giving them limitations and boundaries. And in doing so, dry land appears. And he calls that dry land earth. And he calls the waters seas. How many of you love the ocean? Do you? If you could move anywhere in the world and had all the money you needed, would you move towards the coast? I would. Well, we know where you'd move. You'd move to Graceland. (laughs) That's that's. That's Elvis talking to me there. You need to go tell people, Elvis isn't dead. He's in our church. Stand up there for a minute, Ron. (laughs) The other night, there we go. Now, he dresses like Elvis. And the other night at the care meeting, he gave us a little leg-shaking exhibition. Don't do it now. (laughs) This is holy ground. Sit down. Appreciate it. But to me, there's just something eternal about the ocean. I just feel close to God when I'm near the ocean. 
I want you to know, folks, that we live in a world that has been ordered by the finger of God, ordered by the hand of God. And, and here's God saying, speaking into gross, thick, black darkness and just a mass of chaos, the first thing he does is he sends light. And the first thing he does with you and me when we're in a darkness of confusion and despair, he sends light. He sends his word. Then he comes and he begins to establish order. He says, now, I'm not going to have the waters in the sky mixing with the waters in the sea, so I'm going to bring a firmament and I'm going to separate. I'm going to bring separation and set boundaries and set parameters and give you the firmament where oxygen and all living things will dwell. Then he comes and says to, to all this water covering the, the earth at that time, and says, now, back off, and, I, and I'm going to push you over here, I'm going to pull you in over here, and I'm going to cause you to stay right there, and your waves can roll, and you can experience storms and all those things, but there are parameters over which you're not going to cross. I'm going to give you boundaries, and I'm going to let the dry land appear, because I'm about to create the crown of my creation, and his name is going to be called Adam, and I'm going to prepare the earth for him to have dominion over it and to dwell in it so that I can bless him in it, so I'm getting the whole thing ready for man. So God brings order, gathering the waters together. Dry land appears. Earth, he calls the water a sea. Now, at this moment, when dry land has appeared, and now the waters have their boundaries and parameters, God speaks, and God creates the plant kingdom. God creates the plant kingdom. Look what it says. Verse 11, God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth. Everybody say, the earth brought forth. Now, up to this point, God has spoken and said, let there be, and it came out of nothing. But now, he's commanding the earth to bring forth. And the earth brings forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. So, in other words, God created the entire botanic world. He created all... I looked this up in the encyclopedia before I left here tonight. And do you know that botanists have counted 260 thousand known plants just that they know about 260,000 different kinds that God said let there be I command the earth to bring forth and 260,000 different kinds sprang up and I'm so glad he made oranges I'm so glad he made blueberries I'm so glad he made strawberries. I'm so glad he made apples. I'm so glad he made the fruit. I'm so glad he made green beans. Look at all that we love and enjoy. And it was from God saying, let the earth bring forth and let everything that does come forth have within its seed to reproduce after its kind so that man will be taken care of as long as the earth stands. Praise God. Think about this. The earth, up to this point, had been empty and barren. There wasn't anything on that earth. Nothing pretty to look at. Nothing attractive about it. It had been empty and barren. But now, by God's command, it has become full of God's riches, fruitful enough to perpetually feed mankind till the end of time. Knowing he was about to create man, God prepared the earth for his arrival ahead of time. 
In verse 29, he tells Adam, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. He made it before Adam ever arrived. Now this tells me something about God. He knows we're coming before we arrive, and he prepares for our arrival. God is, has already walked into your future, and God is preparing some things for your arrival. You don't know about it yet, but God's going to do some new things in your heart. And right now, he's with you in the now, but he's also gone ahead of you into your future, and he is preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies because the nature of God is to know what he's going to do with you and prepare you for the time that you arrive there. God is a God of preparation. He thinks ahead. Now, we ought to be excited that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has what? Prepared. Say it with me. Prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Give him a hand. Come on. Don't you know that when Adam came on the scene, when God lifted him up out of the earth and he did come from the dust, and he opened his eyes and he looked around, he saw this incredible creation, trees, corn, fruit, this fabulous creation. Don't you know that God took him by the hand and said, this was made for your arrival. Now, what is he going to show you next week, next month, next year? Say, ah, because you followed me and trusted me and walked with me and obeyed me, this is what's been waiting for your arrival. I prepared this knowing you would be here. Amen. I can't help but see the parallel between the earth, barren and useless, becoming fruitful and beautiful following God's word, and our dead and empty souls flourishing and becoming fruitful following the word, the word, Jesus Christ, coming into our lives. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in darkness, and he spoke, and the light of the gospel shined in your heart, and then he made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit, just like the earth, bringing forth fruit, your fruit should remain. Say with me, where there is God, there is fruit. Where there is the enemy, there is death and darkness. But where there is God, there is light, order, and fruit. And there we see, we see this in the creation of the world. Amen? Let's stand together tonight, can we?